Hello friends and welcome to a scintillating edition of Bat Flips and Maple Dips. It's episode number 135. Wow, that's a lot. Uh, it's me, it's Patrick here in Halifax, Nova Scotia. Justin Anderson, you're out in Saskatoon, Saskatchewan. How you doing, Justin? How's your weekend? Weekend was good, man. It's uh, it's warming up out here. It's gonna be 36 on Thursday, so wish me luck. I'm supposed to umpire my first baseball game of the season that night. Yes. Oh, baby. Finally. And it's gonna be uh, it's good to be back on the diamond, but also I'm going to lose about five pounds in water weight, sweating it out during that few hours. So yep. wish me luck. <laughs> That's gonna be rough. Um. Well, I'm glad you had a good weekend, man. Uh, mine kind of sucked. Uh, I mean, it was good overall, but it kind of sucked because uh, I got my first COVID vaccine. And, Pfizer uh, fam. Yes. Um, but it hit me pretty hard, so I'm feeling like shit. Uh, it's been, what's it, 48 hours? It's been two and a half days since i got the shot you know and... patrick i've heard it i've heard that it hits the elderly a little bit harder so yeah <laughs> fuck you <laughs> um no but really uh it hit me it hit hard saturday it was better sunday today i'm feeling okay i tried to lift weights this morning uh nope the body was like nope don't do that it's too soon uh so i'm hoping by the end of the week i'll be able to do that kind of shit again yeah um, but but in the meantime uh like all of you i'll be skulking around on twitter you can follow us at bfmd podcast uh we're also on anchor apple podcast spotify google podcast breaker pocket cast radio public stitcher tune in and i'm sure there's more uh shout out to the new hampshire fisher cats i had a lovely exchange with them since the last time we talked on uh, the twitter machine uh, they're going to break out the red uniforms for Canada Day. Nice. They follow us on Twitter, by the way, too. They do. I love them. I, I just, I, I adore them. Whoever... If for whatever reason they were playing and the Jays weren't, if it was like a playoff situation or something, I'd be all over it. I, uh... They're great. Whoever runs their social media account, they seem to have a really good social media coordinator every year. I, I doubt it's the same person all the time, but they always seem to be very, uh very funny <laughs> twitter those fisher cats yeah. so you love to see it very smart yeah. very cool very interesting so we got a lot to talk about um we're bringing back an old classic today in our segments justin anderson we're going to be bringing back spotlight and we're going to be talking about everybody's favorite shortstop converted over to second baseman <laughs> marcus samine um but we're gonna we're just gonna dive right into the results so uh justin yeah, the wheel, my friend. Yeah, Here not a go. lot of a lot, lot of news this week, so we're kind of kind of gloss over that. Uh, no early updates on Springer. We talked about last time he was in his running progressions, still going through that. He's been taking BP, shagging some fly balls, so uh, getting closer. But yeah, that guy's gonna need a rehab assignment. So we'll hopefully see him in Buffalo in the next couple of weeks. I would, would be what my guess would be, which would be awesome to get him down there in three, four games maybe. And then get him back at the top of the lineup where we need him right now. But yeah, looking at the results, we've got six games to go over here. Uh, the Blue Jays managed to go uh, four and two this past week on the road trip. It was stops in Yankee Stadium and that progressive field in Cleveland. Yep. They took two or three from the Yankees, Patrick. And in the first game, which coincidentally is the only uh, nine inning game of this entire week, uh, <laughs> yeah. 
we'll talk about that too. Uh, the Blue Jays picked up a six to two victory over the New York Yankees. They got a great outing from Steven Matz. He rebounded nicely, pitching in his uh, home state of New York. He's a Long Islander. Uh, six and two-thirds innings and struck out 10 without a single walk. Only one run allowed. We love to see those numbers there. Uh, we had home runs from Vladdy, Guriel, and Gritch Daddy. The Triple Gs went off. And five batters had multi-hit games. Um, yeah, we, we knocked Kluber out of the game. He had a little bit of an injury. He's actually on the IL for quite a bit now, too. So hopefully he recovers. Obviously, he had thrown the no-hitter in his previous start. And the Jays kind of jumped on him in the third inning. And then uh, Michael King pitched some great relief for the Yankees. He gave them some depth. So props to him for that. But yeah, big 6-2 win in the opener of the series. Yeah, it was a great game. It was uh, it was nice. It was yeah, nice, nice to see. Uh, Nats bouncing back, right? Yeah, exactly, and the, and the home run that, that Vladdy hit, uh, Vladdy and Guriel both went to right field. Vladdy's was a no-doubter, but Guriel definitely used the uh, the closer wall in right center in the Yankee, in the bullpen out there, so. The multi-hit we'll thing was pretty fantastic, too. It's nice when the offense is spread out. It seems like a lot of the guys, <clears throat> it's almost like they take turns getting hot. Uh, but yeah. Tonight, or not tonight, but uh, Tuesday night was kind of like a perfect storm. of Everybody was just seeing the ball really well. And uh, like you said, uh, the Triple Gs, they they were out there slugging. It was great. <laughs> yeah. Uh, then on Wednesday, and what was supposed to be Alec Manoa's debut, that game was actually rained out. So Manoa didn't make his debut until the first half of the doubleheader on Thursday. And boy, <laughs> was it a debut. Uh, there was a stat that uh, major league pitchers who had made their debut at Yankee Stadium, I can't remember, I think it was New Yankee Stadium perhaps, they were like 0-5 with an ERA of, of around 6 Ooh. going into Manoa's debut. And he uh, he turned that around in a hurry. So he managed to go 6 innings in the 7-inning in the game. He gave up only 2 hits, walked 2 batters, and struck out 7. Uh, it was one of the better Blue Jay debuts in, in history. I think the only one that maybe rivaled it was when Jesse Litch was like eight and two thirds or something in his big league debut. Yeah, yeah. Blue Jays legend Jesse Litch, uh, and then Jordan Romano pitched the only other inning in that game for a clean inning with a strikeout for the save, and a two nothing win. The Jays uh, got on uh, Herman in the third. Good. I love when that guy gets uh, gets to take the loss. Um, yep. And yeah, <laughs> the and the runs were both uh, Bo and and Samin Marcus and Bo went back to back in the third. Uh, the Jays only had four hits. The Yankees only had the two hits. So it was a really, really quick game, actually, for a seven-inning game. And then, yeah, that was that was 2 nothing there. And then the nightcap of the doubleheader. Uh, the Blue Jays uh, lost 5-3, to three, missed some opportunities. Uh, Bo did hit a three-run bomb in the third. Robbie Ray was cruising um, for the most part until he started giving up some home run balls. He ended up giving up uh, five runs. Four of them were earned on a couple home runs, walked two, struck out five over four and two thirds. Yeah, the, the error didn't help. Um, but then, so, so giving up home runs doesn't help you either. So wasn't the best start what we've seen from Robbie Ray. His control wasn't quite there where it had been recently. So hopefully he yeah. can right the ship. Uh, and we'll talk about him in the looking ahead segment. But uh, yeah, what were your thoughts on that doubleheader, Patrick? Uh, I watched the first game top to bottom just because I wanted to see... Uh, Manoa, yeah. I, I'm gonna be honest with you. As masterful as a performance as it was, Manoa caught a lot of breaks. Uh, he did not look sharp in the first inning, but he turned it around. Mm-hmm. Um, off of uh, 
uh, very impressive strikeout of rough Ned Odor. Uh, and then a very weird strikeout from Aaron Judge, almost like he was trying to like hold himself back from swinging, but he, he went around. It was really strange. Um, but yeah, I don't know how to explain it, but he got away with some meatballs. He threw a few meatballs that were just, you know, right there, right for the, right for the pick. Yeah. He got lucky, but I mean, that's part of the game, right? hundred percent. Sometimes, sometimes you just throw, you'll throw a bad pitch and it ends up getting you out of a jam or it ends up getting you a strikeout when really the ball could have been hit 450 feet. Uh, if, you know, if the hitter, you know, knew what they were doing. So, so I, I did what I always do after Yankee games and I go browse Yankee Twitter and Yankee subreddit because if there's any fans that are a little bit, that are more salty than Blue Jay fans, it's Yankee fans. Oh, and yeah. they were all complaining, oh yeah, first time we've seen Manoa. And I, I commented, I was like, actually, you guys faced him twice in spring training and he made you look silly twice then too. So yeah, take a hike. Yeah. Uh, and and the both times in spring training was with a lot of their regulars. So <laughs> yeah, take a hike, guys. We had yeah, the advantage uh, that Giancarlo Stanton was still on the injured list for the three games yeah. too, which definitely made the Yankee lineup a lot weaker than it could have been. Credit though, credit though. Well, I mean, it's actually overall the uh, they have like three guys who are or three or four guys who are hitting under two twenty. At least, yeah. They're, the Yankees lineup is not. It, it doesn't have as much bite as you think. No, it and we saw um, them get kind of pounded by the Tigers this week too, which was exactly, super yeah, super got, satisfying. They got swept over the weekend. <laughs> uh, 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 I just want to clarify, I'm not criticizing Manoa. He yeah, had a, it was a masterful performance. It was great. Um, but still, there are some obvious opportunities for him to sort of improve. Yeah, and, and I'm sure that, that Pete Walker will be going over the film in depth with him if they yeah. haven't already. But, I mean, it was great watching him and his mom. Uh, his mom was a huge His uh, mom was the, the star of the show, for sure. Yeah, <laughs> it, was pretty, it was pretty special. I think most Jays fans will agree it was one of the more impressive debuts. And uh, I'm excited to see what he does against uh, the Marlins, who probably are a better hitting team than the Yankees when you look at, like, yeah. overall. Um, and then, I don't know. I don't know, man. Could be good. Yeah, well, moving into the weekend series against Cleveland, uh, the Blue Jays have a thing for game one of the series on this road trip. They put up 11 runs on 15 <laughs> hits in game one to back Hunjin Ryu. Ryu was shaky in the first inning. It was it was crazy yeah. windy. There was some rain. Like there was, I think it was like 57 kilometer an hour wind with gusts at like 80. So not the kind of day for baseball. Um, but Ryu gave up two runs in the first, and then that's all that Cleveland got. This game was called uh, with I think Noah. I think there was nobody out in the seventh, the bottom half of the seventh. The umpires kind of just said, you know what, screw this, we're done. Um, and and like walked off and everyone kind of just stood around for a bit, not really knowing what was going on. But regardless, uh, Trent Thornton pitched the only inning of relief for the Blue Jays in that game. Uh, Randall Grichuk, Lourdes Gurriel Jr. and Joe Panic, who were hitting 5th, 6th, and 7th in this game, uh, they had a lot of hits. Um, Panic went 4 for 4. I believe it was the <laughs> first time he had 4 hits in a game since like 2013 or something like that. I, I, I remember yeah, seeing it in the baseball crazy. reference stat head the next morning. Which, if, if anyone's not subscribed to that via email, you should. It's awesome. Um, but yeah, the Guriel continued his hot streak. His average after that game was up to 257. I remember a while ago he was hitting 190. So 
Uh, he's, he, I think he hit like 350 in May or something like that. So uh, Griel, this typical hot streak that just took a little bit longer to happen this year. Um, then we had a, another rainout in what was supposed to be game two on Saturday. So the Blue Jays played two on Sunday. They won the first game four to one. They picked up four runs on 10 hits. Ross Stripling was great for his second straight outing. Remember, he pitched the seven innings of relief, I guess, yep. against Tampa Bay. Uh, yep. And then he came up and followed up with five innings. Only blemish was a solo home run. Walked one and struck out three. A lot of people were mad that he was pulled after five innings. But, I mean, you're, you were up. They were up two at that point. Uh, it was three to one when he was pulled. A seven inning game. They went with Dolis and Romano for the next two innings, and those guys were lights out. They both gave up a hit, but nothing more. And the Jays got the win four to one. Yeah. And then game two happened, Patrick Marsh. Oh my God. Can we, before we do that, shout out to Strips. Yeah. Shout out to Strips, um, friend of the show. Great. It was a great performance. And I, I mean, I was definitely somebody who would have preferred he, he went through the, the lineup a third time. I know yeah. the, the, the advanced statistics say he probably shouldn't have, um, but I don't care. I wanted to see him do it and save the arms for the second game. Uh, turns out they did that anyway. Uh, and, it, <laughs> you know, we'll, we'll talk about it in yeah. a minute. But, I mean, Strips, this is two performances in a row where he has looked strong. I think he's, I think he's settled in now to being our number five. I think you're right. Um, his ERA's dropped about a one and a half in the last two outings from yeah. over 650 down to 511. So another good outing, he'll get it below five, and who knows where it goes from there. But yeah, still a little bit bloated with the early season numbers. But yeah, it'll it'll come down quickly if he keeps that up. Uh, Teoscar and Rowdy both hit home runs in that game. Uh, Samin went three for three, and Panic was again two for three. So a good series for professional baseball hitter uh, Joe Panic. Yes. Um, game two was. Really, a tale of two innings. The Jays were up four to nothing going into the sixth. They had scored all four runs in the third, including a three-run double from Teoscar that just missed the grand slam. Um, the sixth inning, <laughs> Stephen Matz comes back out. He had been cruising through five, and he doesn't get an out in the sixth, partially due to the fact that Santiago Espinal absolutely booted a ground ball which led to four runs in the inning, but only two of them were earned due to that error. So Matt's final line was five innings, four hits, four runs, two earned, no walks, and four strikeouts. This game wasn't on him. Then Tyler Chatwood comes in. Boy, oh boy, does Tyler Chatwood come in. Uh, Remember when he was on the zero ERA gang for a while, Patrick? That was a long time ago. He's at 310 now. Partially due to the fact that he can't hit the strike zone right now. He pitched an inning and a third in this game. He gave up two runs on one hit, and he walked five, Patrick Marsh, including four in a row in the bottom of the seventh. And the big kicker here was that after he finished off the sixth inning, managed to get out of that, they don't have anybody warming in the seventh. With the Blue Jays, who took the lead in the top of the seventh again, up five to four, coming to the bottom half of the seventh in the last inning of a doubleheader, and they send Chatwood back out there. Now, granted, Chatwood's been, for the most part, really good outside of his last couple outings. Really good this year. He was not really good today. He couldn't hit the strike zone. He was all over the place. His fastball had a lot of run on it, which is usually a good thing, but not when you're nowhere near the plate. And then they don't have anybody up, up and warming. It took until Cleveland had the tying run 
uh, or had just scored the tying run for them to get Anthony Castro into the game because they hadn't had him warming up. He proceeds to get a line out um, from Ramirez, but it was too too deep in right field and Gritchick couldn't get the ball home in time before the winning run tagged and scored. So the the real the real kicker in this is that they didn't have somebody warming up. Hey, I mean, relievers blow games every once in a while. And with a guy like Chatwood, he had been pulled in his last game, wasn't too happy that he got pulled. Sometimes you let your veterans who have been good for you work out of the jam. But he didn't do that today, and there was no sign that he was going to. So the inexcusable thing here is that Castro wasn't warming up. Everyone on Twitter who is, again, calling for Charlie Montoyo's head over one game. And by the way, if you're going to criticize him, spell it Montoyo, not Montoya. The moment that I see somebody say, fire Montoya, I just respond with who? (laughs) Because that's not his name. If you're going to criticize someone, at least have the decency to spell their name correctly. I understand that autocorrect is a thing, but so is proofreading. Um... So yeah, that's that's my opinion. I mean, my my only really my only gripe against this is that they didn't have somebody up and warming because he, I would have pulled Chatwood after the first walk in the seventh inning, and not waited for him to load the bases before I got something done. Yeah, I okay. There's there's two storylines that come out of this. Well, three really. The first one is another game blown by a reliever with a ridiculous number of walks that should never fucking happen in a baseball game ever. Um, but it happened and we lost a game, uh, and it was yet another one. This is the second thing. It's another one lost to, uh, bullpen management. Uh, and like you said, Castro not warming up. Nobody was ready. They put all their trust in Chatwood yeah. Uh, to get out of the inning. And it was very apparent by the second walk that he didn't have his stuff and <laughs> he wasn't going to locate anything. Uh, and then three more walks happened. So, I mean, Jesus Christ. And or, or no, sorry, two more walks happened. Yeah. One of the it things, too, Pete, Pete Walker sitting right next to Charlie Montoyo. Does he not say, like, hey, maybe we should get him out of here? No, he didn't say anything either. So I mean, after the second, after the second uh, batter or the second walk in the bottom of the seventh, that should have been enough because he had already yeah. passed the three batter minimum. Yep. You know, you should have Romano well, could have easily it, went it's back. It's a three batter minimum or the inning ends. So they could have pulled him at any time in the seventh. Yeah. It was just Romano was ready too because he had pitched about, you know, excuse me, three hours beforehand. He was yeah. available. He yep. made it very, very clear in his post inter- game interview with Hazel. Or was it Hazel or It was Arash. Yeah, Arash. Jeez, oh, Arash Madani. Yeah. Love, <laughs> probably, probably the nicest guy, but his interview style leaves something to be desired. Um, the other thing too, Patrick, I, I was looking it up. I saw a tweet about this. Um, the White Sox also played a doubleheader on Sunday. Liam Hendricks picked up the save in both of those games. And he also picked up the save in their game on Monday as well. So he pitched three games in two days and picked up three saves. So people who say guy. like... Romano isn't wasn't able to do it. I'm pretty sure he was fine. <laughs> that was the guy I advocated for us to sign. Yeah, we wanted him, yeah, but we went like with Kirby him. Yates instead. And of course, unfortunately, that yeah. backfired due to injury. But nothing you can predict could happen to quick, anybody. But. Uh, quick stat correction, because this is kind of interesting. We were talking about uh, how our guys get hot every once in a while. Um, because I don't want to talk about this loss anymore. Yeah. Uh, Lourdes Gurriel Jr. in his last. 30 games is hitting 282 
Nice. Uh, his OBP is 292 because... Uh, <laughs> he doesn't walk. <laughs> homeboy does not take walks. No. Um, but he's hitting 362 in his last 15 games. Yeah, so he's hot. He is as Man's, hot as man Madden's got hot. Yeah, Yeah, he's 249 on the season. Um, so there you go. The last 30 games he's hitting at the same rate that I have been blathering on about for years <laughs> as far as what his floor is. Uh, and he's actually he's gone all the way through that uh, in a big way in the last 15 games. So yeah. I expect Guriel to be a huge part of our June resurgence. Let's talk about Marcus Simeon, Patrick. We are 52 games into this season. Marcus Simeon is currently slashing 297, 365, 550. And he has an F war of 2.7. I believe his Oof. baseball B ref war is uh, about a 3.0, which is, I believe, second among American League uh, position players on yep. B ref. Um, this guy is just doing it all right now. He's 30, 30 years old. He'll be turning 31 this coming fall. Um, originally drafted by the White Sox in 08 and in, this, and, and in 2011 because he ended up going to college to UC Berkeley. He played briefly for the Sox, but was then dealt to the A's uh, after 2014. He has a, t- a career slash line with the A's in 773 games of 256, 325, 430 with a 755 OPS. Obviously, the big year came in 2019. Third in American League MVP voting. He slashed 285 that year and slugged 33 home runs, uh, scored 123, and drove home 93 runs. Now, we all know it's been talked about every time the Blue Jays play. Uh, he struggled last season. His average was 223. Oakland didn't resign him. And he actually took a gamble along with the Blue Jays on a one year deal of $18 million to play second base. So he didn't, he didn't even sign a contract to play as his, his native position, which is shortstop. He chose to come play second base. Now, we're going to borrow some stats on you in a bit here. But, Patrick, you wanted to do this this spotlight section. Um, why Samin and not somebody else on the team? We've got some other guys who are hot. Samin is in an extremely interesting <clears throat> position on this team. Uh, for one, he has been our leadoff guy uh, because George Springer is injured. Uh, and for another, he w- had switched positions, so that way Bo Bichette could learn how to play shortstop. Bo Bichette. Uh, the, yeah, the Bo Bichette and Marcus Simeon combo has gotten us a crazy number of double plays. Their fielding together has been impressive. Hopefully, Simeon rubs off on Bo and the errors uh, you know, start to dissipate because um, you don't want to see that. Um, so, yeah, as a fantastic leadoff guy... Um, He's also generating a lot of offense for us. Mm-hmm. Um, but most interestingly, I think with this, with Samin as a player, is it's kind of cool. We signed him. We wanted to take a chance on him because we believed that we he would be able to resurge uh, back to his you know MVP level season uh, the year before, right? And yep. he believed that coming to Toronto was good because it would, he'd have an opportunity to play with a bunch of young guys. Uh, he'd be able to get his groove back. He'd be able to play in a hitter-friendly park. Uh, and 
while it's not the hitter-friendly park that he signed on to play in, <laughs> uh, it's all worked out very, very well. And here we are, uh, floating above 500 for now. Uh, the season's not even a third over. But he's in a very interesting position because uh, I don't know whether or not he has a no trade or not. But I don't think I would, so. I, yeah, I would assume that he does not. If the Jays find themselves outside of the playoffs uh, picture come July, he could be traded to a contender, and he will not only net significant value for the Toronto Blue Jays, but he will find himself on a potential championship-winning team. And I think that's very, very interesting. And I think that Blue Jays fans should be cognizant of the fact that it's probably going to take something like 95 to 97 wins to get a wild card spot and you know i took the under on them winning 85 games uh they're still on pace to win 85 ish i think according yeah to fan graphs. So it's about that it's like 85 and 77 so they're still on the outside looking in um they're not that far back right now but reality is you know if you if the team finds itself on the outside looking in, he is the most attractive trade piece you could possibly have. An elite middle infielder Mm -hmm. who can hit, who can rake. So the questions that I have is, uh, or that I wanted to pose, I mean, we've already kind of talked about what what did Samine see in Toronto. How would you grade his season thus far? And do you have some advanced analytics that you can kind of quote? Yeah, I definitely have some stats as you know i always do um obviously we didn't sign marcus i mean to hit leadoff for us that came into effect because a george springer is hurt and b kevin biggio has not had a great season obviously he's on the aisle now hopefully back soon but he was really thrown in there because we had really nobody else who profiled as a leadoff hitter everyone was saying oh like let let Bo lead off but Bo doesn't take a lot of walks uh, his on-base isn't that high. It's higher for his career than Marcus Simeon, but also there's a difference of about uh, 3,300 plate appearances. So <laughs> uh, a little bit of a sample size discrepancy. But if you, even if you look at this season, uh, Bo Bichette currently hitting 263 with a 313 on-base versus Marcus Simeon at a 297, 365. You tell me which one you'd rather have leading off, and if you say Bo Bichette, I will smack you upside the head until you say Marcus Simeon. <laughs> I'll just keep smacking you and smacking you and smacking you until you finally give in. But if we Paul look, also loves to swing. And he loves to swing. Me nuts. He yeah. loves to swing at the first pitch, and he loves to swing when he's 0-2. Yeah, so he's hitting 263, which is by far the lowest that he has hit so far in his big career. Big league career. The underlying metrics say that he's going to improve um, based on contact, etc. But at the same time, yeah, we're not here to talk about Bo. Uh, but looking back at Marcus. Um, The big thing that I noticed was how similar his batted ball profile is to his 2019 season. And it's actually different in a couple of very, very surprising ways. So one thing that is different, he is striking out more, but again, that's just baseball in general. Uh, He's also walking a little bit less, but he's hitting the ball way harder. In 2019, his hard hit percentage was 43. This season, it's at 71. His average exit velocity, and those are percentiles, by the way. Uh, the 43rd and 71st percentile in the big leagues. Uh, average exit velocity in, in 2019 was in the 41st percentile. 
This year it's in 72nd. So he's hitting the ball a lot harder every time. Um, the expected batting average is actually a little bit lower, but that's also based on the fact that his April was atrocious. I've been watching these advanced analytics every week, so they creep their way up. Um, his chase rate has gone down quite a bit, uh, and his outs above average is actually <laughs> significantly improved. He's in the 95th percentile there for the fact that he doesn't really generate a lot of outs. He typically has productive appearances. Now, the the one thing that he's not doing a ton this year, he, he started off where he was just dead pull, dead pull everything. Uh, everything was going to left field. He was not shooting the ball the other way. He has started doing this a little bit. He's still about six points off his opposite field hit percentage from 2019 and three and a half off of his up the middle percentage. So he's still pulling the ball a little bit more. This is at like 80% at the beginning of the season. Like there was no opposite field happening at all. And we've seen that approach from a lot of Blue Jay hitters uh, so far this year. Uh, another thing that he is not doing, Patrick Marsh, he is not hitting any ground balls. He's hitting less than a 30% ground ball compared to 41% back in 2019. Things are in the air. He's got a 10% increase on his fly ball rate from his MVP season and a, about a 3% increase on his line drives. His home run percentage per fly ball is up to 18.1 versus a 15.3. So basically what I'm trying to say is that he's hitting the ball harder and he's hitting the ball harder and in the air more often. And that has led to the reason why he has already 13 home runs this season. And if we track that over a full season, he's on pace for just over 40 home runs. His career high was in 2019 when he hit 33. And he played all 162 games that year. So if he plays all 162 games this year, he'll hit 43-ish, I think, is about what the numbers say. So about 10 over his career high. Wow. Um, and he's already stolen eight bases this year, too. His career high is 14 there back in 2018. So he's running more, probably because he's hitting leadoff. Um, but he's also, like, he's doing everything better. <laughs> it's, it's crazy. Like he's He is better this year offensively than he was in his MVP third-place voting season. His WRC Plus that year was 138. It's currently at 152. Um. Yeah, and he's also obviously playing a very good second base for us, which is something that this team needed was middle infield defense, especially with really no third baseman because Biggio's kind of been there. Espinal, Panic have been there. Bichette playing a mediocre shortstop, and then Vladi also playing a very good first base. But, um, yeah, they needed some stability on the infield because ground balls would have been a black hole on this team in half the infield. So, yeah, I, I just feel like... He's not getting talked about enough because of how good Vladdy has been and how good Teoscar's been too. Like Teoscar's having a great season. I think Vladdy's overshadowing everybody on this team right now. But I think without having Semyon in this lineup, like who would be playing second base for us right now, Patrick? Like we it'd have, have to be Kavan Biggio or Joe Panic. Yeah, and, and, and if Kavan's been hurt, you'd have Joe Panic starting at second base for a team who's trying to make the playoffs in twenty twenty one. Yeah, that ain't going to fly, Chief. Yep. That's a rough look. But, I mean, yeah, it's... the last the last thing I wanted to talk about when it comes to Samin is, do you think there's any possibility of him signing here long-term? Or is this just a mutually beneficial one-time deal? We go our separate ways, just like Kawhi. <laughs> gone. Yeah. Um, obviously, if we trade him, he probably wouldn't uh, sign with us long-term. 
Um, I, what do you think? I don't think the intention on either party from the Jays or Semyon was ever a long-term relationship. I think the Jays viewed him as a stopgap, but unfortunately, the guy who they thought would play second base for them, Kevin Biggio, has not had a good season. We'll see how he comes back after this injury. He should be back in, I'd say, a week or so. Uh, he's eligible to come off the aisle, I think, anytime here now, but he'll be going to Buffalo probably for rehab, I would imagine. But uh, it'll really depend on how he does over the next couple of months. If Biggio starts to get his numbers tracking back in the right direction, he may start to look like a more long-term solution at second base. Of course, the Bougies have a plethora of middle infield and, 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 and infielding uh, prospects coming up with, obviously, Martin, Groshans, uh, Geraldo, or, T- or Martinez. They've got all of these guys coming up through the, through the minors who could eventually end up being second basemen. Um, I think it'd be very difficult to sign Marcus right now because of how good he's been playing. <laughs> he's, yeah. I think he's kind of played himself out of our price range for what we need to keep the budgets at in order to offer Vladdy, Bo, and maybe Kevin longer-term deals. The good thing about Bijou not playing as well is that if the team wants to keep him around for a long time, he's not going to be worth as much anymore uh, versus the guys like Vladdy who is going to command a King's Ransom, um, maybe a Tatis-level contract. And and Bo, who is going to be somewhere up in that range as well, too. So there's a lot of ifs. I think it, it really depends on how Biggio plays the next few months, whether or not they, they try to get a deal done with Semyon, and if they try to do that midseason, like sign another extension. Maybe they, maybe they sign up to like a three, maybe a four-year deal. But again, that's just going to make it possible for us to trade some of those prospects for pitching and outfield depth then. Because once the Gritchuk contract runs out, they're not going to re-sign him. He'll be getting up there in age if they don't trade him before that contract is up. Guriel, I'm not sold on if he's a long-term part of this team, Patrick, just because of the walk rate and the streakiness. Yeah. He's not consistent enough to be, I think, a championship contender dependable bat. I think if, if, you, if you can hit him 7th or 8th, then yeah, sure. He's got the power. He could hit 25, 30 home runs if, in a good year. Um but again, just so streaky that you can't rely on them too much. And same with Biggio. So it's like you've got those guys and Rowdy Telez. You just don't really know outside of your core four of Flatty, Bo, Teoscar, and I guess even Springer is in that core four right now. Outside of those four guys, you, you don't really have the, the consistency right now. So it's difficult. It's I'd love to see him on the team, but I, I don't see how it works out. Guriel is one of those players we're going to have to reassess at the end of the season because right now it's not really fair because on yeah. one hand, if you look at the first half of the I year, mean, the answer is no. But if you look at the last 30 games, it's an absolute yes. It's the same thing for Semyon though too, right? His April yeah. wasn't that good. And then all of a sudden he's caught fire. But he's been hot for 30 days now, as has Guriel, to be fair. Not as yeah. hot. but Yeah, but Semyon has been hotter for longer than 30 days. That's very true. Um, when you stretch it all out, it's it's more like a month and a half. Yeah, and Semyon's like, metrics back up his, his hot streak, so... It's really it's impressive. I think the only circumstances where Marcus Semin would be a long he would get inked to a long term deal was either the following circumstances take place. Number one, there's some sort of awful injury that happens to Bo Bichette. Right. 
number two, we win a championship here, and then we just want to keep the band together for as long as possible. And Samin decides, I'd rather stay here and win championships than earn money. Uh, and three, he just falls in love with the city of Toronto, which is impossible <laughs> which, to happen because I'm they sorry. don't play there right now. The Buffalo so, Blue Jays? <laughs> yeah, it's not going to happen. So the circumstances, yeah. the, the, the window is very tight as far as creating a circumstance where Samin would want to stay, and it is going to require him to take less money no matter what. Either way, I don't think it's going to happen, but it very it's very advantageous to us, regardless of our situation, uh, to consider trading him at the trade deadline, given how good he's been. Yeah. Well, 15 and 13 in May, uh, some winnable games that were lost late, as we all know, but tough part of the schedule the blue jays are still 27 and 25 and now they go to buffalo patrick marsh uh salem field is ready saw some pictures on twitter the the bullpens are now in right center field they look great no longer in the foul ground so right Telez won't hurt his knee on on a bullpen home plate anymore which is good um yeah it's it looks like a it looks like a good ballpark now they've got the, the the light standards are more permanent now instead of the temporary like crane setup that they had last year they've built a more permanent clubhouse more facilities so even when the jays are done playing at buffalo the triple a team is going to have a much better facility than they did before so nice to see the organization uh investing some more resources into development for the future as well too uh the blue jays are going to have fans i think it's about 35 percent capacity that they're allowing and they yep. will eventually expand on fully vaccinated seating sections as well too so if you can prove you've got all of your, your COVID shots, you can sit more people together in, a, in, the, in the vaccinated zones. But uh, the first team who comes to town are the Miami Marlins. And tomorrow and Wednesday are the games, June 1st and 2nd, both 7.07 Eastern time starts. We don't have to do the 7.37s anymore because Guriel is going to be able to see uh, beyond the burning, <laughs> blinding lights yeah. of the sun while standing in left field. Uh, the first game features Robbie Ray, who's looking to bounce back after that start against the Yankees against Miami's ace, uh, Sandy Alcantara, who, who while he has a 2-4 and four record, doesn't get any run support. He's allowed two earned runs or fewer in eight of his 11 starts this season and sits with a 2-4 and four record on a yeah. 346 ERA. Um, he struck out 64 batters as well, too, which is actually four more than Robbie Ray, who is known for a lot of strikeouts. Um Wednesday's game is going to feature the home Blue Jays debut in quotation marks of Alec Manoa, who will face Miami's Pablo Lopez, another guy with very good numbers, but again, a poor win-loss record because Marlins, the Marlins, by the way, are 24 and 28, so they only have three less wins than us, so don't look past the Marlins as a team of, of jokers. They've got some They've got some young kids with, um, with some power like Jazz Chisholm, um, so watch out for those folks. It's going to be a fun two games. Uh, we've got Lou Gehrig Day on on Wednesday in honor of ALS research, so uh, that's always a nice day in baseball as well, too. It's, I think it's the first year that they're doing that. Um, so nice to see that get some love. But, uh, yeah, it's looking like a fun two games. It'll be interesting to see how Manoa does in the second Jays start. Yep. Uh, I'm interested in both these matchups because they seem either fairly even or... Uh, they favor the Marlins, but not so much that it's like Garrett Cole versus, you know, Ross Brian Tallett or something. <laughs> yeah, like, and it's worth noting, too, as of right now, the Toronto Blue Jays are exactly one game out 
of WC2, but WC2 currently has a three-way tie. Uh, yeah, so the standings are on, condensed. Yeah, we're on the outside looking in right now, but we have a better run differential than Cleveland and the Yankees, who are ahead of us. Uh, our run differential is close to the Astros and close to the Red Sox, uh, but not quite yeah. as high. Uh, and obviously, uh, the Tampa Bay Rays right now have they're harder gone, than anybody. Yeah, they've gone Super Saiyan. Uh, they're nine and one in their last ten. They're like the anti-Baltimore Orioles who have lost fourteen <laughs> games in a row. Please continue to suck. Yeah. So when we play them, they continue to suck because yeah. uh, we need those wins. We need you those mentioned wins. the Astros, too. We'll have an off day on Thursday, which is when we will record again after the Marlins series. And then the Astros are going to come to town for a pretty big series on the weekend. Yep. I was really I, – I had this series kind of bookmarked as potential George Springer return after – so it's been, it's been over a month now since we last saw Springer. So I figured that maybe he would be back in time for this, but that's not going to happen, so – he might not even get to face his former team this season unless we maybe play them in a wild card game, which would be super fun. Um, but yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll be back after a couple of games here against the Marlins. Hopefully the Jays pick up wins 28 and 29 so we can go into the weekend hot. hope Buffalo treats us well. But uh, yeah, it's going to be an interesting, uh, interesting couple of days here to see how the Jays adapt to their second home ballpark of the season. Um, last thing we'll say, uh, go Leafs go. <laughs> uh, Game seven starts in about 20 minutes. Uh, the Leafs are actually going to have 550 fully vaccinated medical uh, yes. workers in the stands, which I think is an awesome gesture. Obviously, the Canadians had 2,500 fans. Some yeah. fans paid up like over $9,000 for their ticket Stupid. to game to game six, which is bonkers. Um, it was it was great. I mean, 2,500 fans was louder than any piped in crowd noise could ever be. And the fact that there were boos again, and like serenading the up, like they're they're chanting carry carry. They you don't get that from canned fan noise. So um, there's just something about having people back in the stands that was really fun about that game on the weekend. But let's, yeah, let's talk game I'm gonna seven cr- right quick. Yeah, you might not hear from me on Thursday, depending how this game goes. I might be wallowing in my own sadness. Yeah. Yeah, I'll be do. I'll be performing a uh, a very tender and. Caring I'm turning my phone off. <laughs> yeah, no, I understand. Um, honest, honest predictions though. Let's 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 do this. Um, four, four to one Leafs tonight. Okay. Two goals That's... from Matthews. One on the power play. Marner's gonna have three points, including a goal, and Jason Spetz is gonna score another one because he hasn't been able to do it. Has been doing no wrong this entire series. So. It was interesting looking through uh, some of Leafs' Twitter and seeing a lot of criticism was levied towards Austin Matthews and Mitch Marner. They haven't given up a goal against yet in this series either, though, which is a thing that people don't realize. I, so. I know. It's it's dumb because it's like, yeah, they're facing... Not only are they facing Carey Price, who is <laughs> standing on his freaking head right yeah, now. Yeah, he's Whether playing incredibly not, well. He's a great uh, goalie. He is, he is fantastic. And I think he's going to be the difference. And I'm going to say the final score of this game will be 2-1 to one in overtime for the Montreal Canadiens. Boo. <laughs> uh, um, either way, I promise you ahead of time, I'm promising you this, this now, I will not be bringing up the game, regardless of the result, in future episodes because 
it's too it's i know it's going to be a sensitive topic <laughs> and so you know i i hope i i hope your team wins i really do as much as i want the the canadians to win i really i i don't want to see you collapse into yourself like a white dwarf turning into a black hole uh i i want you a tippy top for thursday show so you know i i hope you get you get your win um i don't think you will though so we'll see yeah well the leafs are without Tavares and without muzzin for this game so that's right second line center and a top four defenseman that's gonna be tough but uh we'll see it's gonna be fun that game starts in about 25 minutes after the anthems so I'm going to go uh, put some hot dogs on the grill and then get ready to cry. So, yeah. Oh, no. Uh, for, for Patrick out in Halifax, it's a pre-depressed Justin Anderson here in Saskatoon saying, see ya on Thursday.